Today should be a very interesting show. We have Michael P. Singer. He is the author of Snake Oil Science, How Xi Jinping Shut Down the World. He's got more information since he wrote that book. You can follow him now on Twitter, reinstated at Michael P. Singer, S-E-N-G-E-R. And uh, his substack is michaelsanger.substack.com. Uh, he has got a lot to tell us. This should be a very interesting uh, conversation. Susan uh, has, Michael's a, a, a low-key guy, but uh, he got Susan quite worked up after her last interview. I don't think you've ever quite been the same, Susan, matter of fact. <laughs> uh, they, he's also been uh, reporting on 100,000 messages between UK officials uh, in 2020 and the, the techniques they were using to terrify I can't word these words can barely come out of my mouth to terrify the citizens to cow them into submission to cooperate with their um, interventions. Let's get right to it. Our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. You have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. As always, we are watching your restream chat and, of course, on Rumble with the Rumble Rants. And we have some of our usual suspects over there. And Twitter spaces as well. I, I'm not sure if we'll have time for calls today. I, hopefully, we'll have a minute or so to let you talk to Michael. As I said, Michael's an attorney. He's in San Francisco. And he wrote a book that Susan read, amongst other things, his interview as well, which got Susan, I think, got, I don't think you've been quite right ever since then. Nope. <laughs> and uh, she's looking very forward to this very much forward to this interview before we get into a reminder tomorrow we have dr william Mackis here uh tuesday I, well, I believe thursday we have uh caleb help me with this the uk uh endocrine reproductive endocrinologist that's been in, in twitter quite a bit a little bit of heat lately i want to give her a chance to sort of uh talk to us about her findings I'm blanking on her name or up top of my head. And Gad Sad on next Tuesday and next Wednesday, Sasha Latapova. Caleb, do you are you know who I'm talking about? I'm what, trying to pull like, mm. I'm I'm trying to find it. That's the one name I don't have on my list right now. <laughs> it was probably added over the weekend. Yeah, gosh darn it. I'm sorry I brought it up, but uh uh I'm gonna tell you in one second, I hope. It's on Thursday. I'm sorry to do this to everybody. No, I'm went to the wrong place so i'm going to give up but it's this thursday it's it's actually day after tomorrow that's the coming that's the coming schedule right there gosh darn it this uh give me one second there it is her name is dr vicky mal male or male i'm not sure how you pronounce it dr vicky male senior lecturer in Re reproductive immunology and uh she has some very strong opinions about vaccination during pregnancy and she's one of the few people that has agreed to come on in here and uh, give us her opinion which i'm delighted she to was hear. suggested by a twitter follower when we were you know saying you know come on the show we, we were trying to get people to come in here and and she's and apparently the real deal she, so. she seemed like a very good scientist but what what uh, what i'm interested in is her the literature she quoted was over the top positive and i'm used to medical literature being a little more mixed and so i sent her some other articles i'd like it to be positive and, well sure uh and so i said please please respond to this stuff and we'll talk about it at the so it should be a really interesting conversation I'm something hoping. really quick when you say that i my life was changed from this book mm -hmm. um you also have since we last spoke to michael you have changed so many of your opinions about that's true what's going on that's true and some of that is because of this book. Well, let's bring Michael P. Singer right in right now. Michael, welcome. Thank you so much, Drew. Thank you for having me. Great to be back. So welcome to our show. Welcome back to Twitter. So I'm glad you're there. So, so uh, <laughs> glad to be back there as well. <laughs> uh, let's start with how I've changed. I think that's an interesting place to start. I was uh, very naive. I, I wouldn't say I was... Um, 
insulated or dumb about uh, what's going on in China, but I was naive, I'd say. And since I last spoke with you, uh, I've talked to a lot of people who were silenced on Twitter and other places like yourself. And one of the things, to, two, there were two, there may, many headlines emerged from those conversations, but two big ones were, A, a lot of the pandemic was response was either, was made up out of whole cloth. People in a room just going, six feet, that's it, it'll be six feet, come on, let's just do that. Uh, and then foisted on the, on the public and then on the world, which is the part that I have trouble getting my head around. But the other big headline was that many of their decisions came directly from their Chinese counterparts. Things like lockdown, our scientists were hoodwinked or something into believing that lockdown was just sayeth the Lord, the one and only solution to COVID, SARS-CoV-2. Tell me what you know about that piece of the story. That's right. Uh, and that's really kind of the focus of my work is that sort of forensic aspect of where these uh, policies came from. And really getting people to focus, especially on the very beginning of this entire story, thinking back to those initial lockdowns, which were, which were the strictest and frankly did the most damage back in early 2020, because that's really where this entire narrative began. Um, and that's really where China's biggest influence was, is in the very beginning, just setting that entire narrative that this virus was going to be treated with this unprecedented response that, you know, just has absolutely no precedent in the modern Western world. Um, I mean, you think back to those initial days, just your initial impressions, uh, how normal everything was in January and February, except for the news coming out of, about out of China about that brutal lockdown that was going on in Wuhan. And then suddenly, you know, just like that, you know, liberal democracy just kind of grinds to a stop and just across the world, one country after another, um, it really just kind of imports this policy of lockdown that had absolutely no precedent in the modern Western world. It uh, was not contained in any country's pandemic plan. They had some um, references to voluntary social distancing measures it might take. And uh, that actually, that entire science of social distancing, it turns out the story of the origin of that science uh, falls apart entirely as well. So that was uh, within Western countries' pandemic plans, but it's kind of a shady vein of pseudoscience. And that's the story all of a sudden. The official story completely falls apart there as well. So the very beginning of how this all began is just, uh, you know, the, the more you look at it, the closer you look at it, um, the more frightening it becomes because everything we've been told about those initial policies just falls apart. Um, you know, we were told that it was just this, oh, it's, uh, um, it just happened. Everybody just decided to shut down. Of course, that's always kind of nonsensical when you actually stop and think about it because a decision that big does not just happen. There's entire, you know, bureaucratic forces at work that get to that point. You know, every single character you look at, the information they were relying on from China, you know, their stories all kind of fall apart. And the reason that's so important is because really it's those initial lockdowns that set the entire narrative for everything that was to come. I mean, everything that happened after that, you, as you were saying, a lot of it was just a giant mess. They were coming up with these rules out of whole cloth, you know, one place, the rules would be directly contradictory to another. You know, he had the arrows all over the floor. You had the plexiglass everywhere. It was all kind of silly and stupid, but it was all because of the lockdowns that convinced so much of the population and leaders, especially that there was a super virus out there because so psychologically powerful and so much of the public um suddenly there's this emergency announcement that we have to have these strict lockdowns that you know this is going to do a lot of harm this is going to destroy uh you know millions of lives it's going to ruin you know half of small businesses out across the country didn't even recover ruin everybody's mental health but the super virus is so important that we have to do it and sadly you know once they make that announcement you know people trust their government and they support it because they think like oh it's a big emergency the government wouldn't be doing this unless there was some real super virus out there and there was a real health emergency so uh they support this policy to dissolve this damage but then we realize later down the road when you study it you realize this virus everything we were told about the origin of it we were told that it, you know was a super virus that you know everybody was falling over to their deaths in wuhan we got all the scary videos out of wuhan and somehow it jumped over to italy 
And, uh, you know, it's killing people there. And all, all it jumps over to New York City. It's kind of this Hollywood theatrical outbreak story that falls apart entirely. And now, of course, now we have mountains of scientific evidence that's actually circulating all over the world by fall of 2019. I mean, it was just everywhere. So this lockdown just had absolutely no, you know, moral or scientific or intellectual justification when you actually go back and look at it. But that was so powerful because it got so much of the population to endorse this policy that caused so much devastation for absolutely nothing. At that point, people cannot psychologically turn back. They have to believe that there's this super virus that, uh, you know, has just been wrapping just yeah. for years and I, years. I have to tell you. Been the I, I, uh... Tremendous. Yeah, I have to tell you, I was in an I was doing a news local news broadcast for the first year of COVID, and one of the news directors came up to me like six months into the pandemic and went, "This is an extinction event for the human being, right? This where the humans will be extinct after this." I was like, "I was like, what? <laughs> where in the world did you get that idea?" My oh, and then I thought, "My phone. God." My God, what have we done to people? My God. Yeah. Uh, they, they just have zero judgment about what this was. But okay, right. so now let, let's let's go back to those early days. Um, as as I recall, uh, it was first a f first there was the closure of flights from China, right? right. Uh, yeah. And China had already ended domestic flights. Strangely, they were allowing international flights, which is a little bit of a a hint of what was maybe going on there, but okay. It turns out that uh, story was actually a bit of propaganda as well. That uh, that story kind of Ellis, falls apart. Ellis, they, they were doing Ellis. they were doing strange things, and this is something that uh, it trips up China hawks as well. It trips up intelligent people all over the world because no regime really in the past has done this. The Chinese Communist Party is using negative propaganda. They know that their reputation around the world is terrible and that it'll never improve, and. From what I've seen, they found that the best way to convince the world of facts that they want people to believe is to simply make themselves look bad. And so you get the story about how they canceled direct, um, you know, domestic flights, even while they're letting people fly all over the world and spread this virus around everywhere. It's just nonsense. That story breaks down as well. And you get these stories about how, oh, these poor Wuhan residents are just falling to the deaths in the streets, not getting the care they need. You know, that's just a lie as well. But it convinces everybody that now they got the scary virus and China let it spread everywhere and all, you know, shame on the Chinese Communist Party for doing that. Um, but it's just nonsense. It was already everywhere around the world by fall 2019. Is that is that maybe not the Chinese? I mean, I guess you must have some evidence that Chinese, the CCP are the one propagating these stories. But isn't it possible that it's some anti-Chinese propaganda equally? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, the, store, uh, the source of it gets completely mixed up there because you have some of that coming from folks who are really, you know, uh, really anti-Chinese Communist Party, genuinely hawkish about China, you know, genuine resistance fighters. And they're like, you know, oh, just anything that, you know, I really want to get these guys. And so they're generating the stuff as well. And, you know, we have no idea. And how much of those is controlled opposition because, you know, the Chinese Communist Party mm -hmm. has controlled opposition forces all over the world. So, we, you know, going back to a lot of these stories, we have absolutely no idea, you know, to this day, was this genuinely somebody who's just fudging facts a little bit because they really don't like China? Or was it the Chinese Communist Party using their controlled opposition forces to convince people of these things? I mean, uh, weird. Yeah. I'm going to tell you more about that in a minute. So I, I, I want to take a little bit more time at the beginning of the pandemic again. So we, right. our federal government has a travel ban and then a two weeks to flatten the curve, right? That's sort of our policy. Two weeks, flatten the curve. Everyone cooperate, stay home for a little while. Then it, as my memory serves me, we have sort of, sort of unclear uh, sort of messaging coming out of the White House, except Donald Trump is saying, calm down, everybody. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it so much. I'm hearing good things about this hydroxychloroquine. I'm hearing good things about light being shed down people's lungs. And, and as soon as he said that, my state locked down. <laughs> there was a coat, which, yep. and that didn't end for two years. Uh, so how much was Trump derangement syndrome or, or whatever that is where people do the opposite of whatever his White House was saying? So here in the United States, there was definitely a lot of that. And you, there, I mean, there's just no question, you know, blue states like here in California uh, embrace more of this insanity, embrace more of the mandates, more of the lockdowns. But on the other hand, I think that idea that it was just all Trump derangement system, uh, 
Trump derangement syndrome, so to say, gets exaggerated a bit in the United States. Because the truth is that before lockdowns came here, a lot of Europe was already locked down, you know, from Italy and quickly, you know, France and Germany followed and then uh, the United Kingdom shortly after that. And, um, you know, every country in Europe. And that was, you know, most of that was before it came to the United States. So this was not just because Trump was in office, you know, um, liberals just, uh, you know, destroying their own states, although there was some of that. But, you know, as you were saying, uh, the messaging was odd. You know, I think Trump's instincts, for the most part, were generally ac- uh, generally correct. I mean, he was just, you know, saying what the data actually showed that this was not really, it was, you know, a bad season or virus, bad worse than usual, but it was nothing really to be that concerned about. And the article is even coming from well, the let public me stop health you. community. The one, yeah. Let me stop you. It, 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 let's, let's say, the, I think truth is actually somewhere between those two places because it's a pretty nasty virus. It does a lot of damage to a lot of people, especially, of course, if you're older. But, but um, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. I, I was going to, oh, how, take me to the point at which terror becomes an instrument of public health policy. My my training in this area is the goal is to never induce panic because panic always makes things worse. They did the exact opposite. It seemed like a conscious induction of panic to, in their own mind, gain control or something. When did that enter the public health lexicon and where'd that come from? That's right. Uh, and that remains one of the big mysteries of the story is uh, where did that order come from? And it really, it's, it came from the very beginning. You know, as soon as they made this decision to lock down in March 2020, that decision to lock down was accompanied by this vast propaganda campaign, you know, all over uh, the Western world. You got all these catchy slogans, you know, follow the science, flatten the curve. Uh, we're all in this together. Of course, every single one of these is an outright lie. Um, you know, it was not, you know, another one was, you know, wait two weeks, you know, 15 days. So, but of course, it was not two weeks. It did not actually flatten the curve. Um, you know, it was not just staying home. It was a complete uh, suspension of everyone's rights. And of course, it was the exact opposite of real science. So that decision to terrify the public, and this is accompanied by a vast uh, federally sponsored propaganda campaign and uh you know disclosures about that have come out within um the united kingdom and within canada and you know goes to show that it's really all the the five eyes nations really the entire developed world was engaging in this domestic propaganda and you know certain mps in the uk and certain uh, military officials in canada came out and uh, said that you know they didn't feel good about that decision that was not the right thing to do um but why did they do it? Where did that order come from? I mean, that that's still one of the big mysteries here is that, you know, even for as much as I've researched this, and that's why I think it's so important to get more folks interested in the subject matter, because we still don't have an official explanation as to how these decisions were made. We get some of these, you know, little um, limited hangouts, these little stories that don't actually make sense about the history of social distancing, which have very little to do with the lockdowns, which were actually an actually enacted we have another story about how oh you know you've got that propaganda story about how st louis shut down parades in 1918 and then they saved so many lives by shutting down parades which you know has nothing to do with what the actual lockdowns the you know shut down the entire world in 2020 um we still have no real official explanation as to how these decisions were made and who is behind it uh, and you really kind of have to piece it together for yourself i mean people kind of make up the story for themselves but you know when you look into the actual characters behind this I mean, they had shady connections to China. The you know they were <laughs> Deborah Burks, the former White House uh, coronavirus response coordinator, who actually was more responsible for lockdowns across America than Anthony Fauci. Uh, most people don't realize that, but she was kind of orchestrating the entire thing. And you really had to kind of read her book and read other firsthand accounts to realize that. But I mean, she you know she says in her book right there that you know she lied about 15 days to slow the spread. Now, you know, when she said that at the time that she advised that policy, she knew it was a lie and she knew it was always going to be uh, much, much longer than that. It was just an excuse to get everybody to buy into the policy. And then it's just unbelievable that she would make that kind of admission in her own book about the response. But I mean, that's how flagrant lies uh, were yeah. in yeah. the I agree. these policies. But I, mean, but I will tell you what I've noticed. I, 
I don't know how this fits into your thinking exactly, but I've noticed whenever there are these medical interventions that end up harming millions of people, look at the opioid crisis, look at lobo you know, psychosurgeries, lobotomies, look at the opioid crisis at the turn of the 20th century. There's many examples of these through medicine. At the core, there's always a, a group, a small group of physicians who evangelize for the topic, evangelize for their intervention, right. for their way of looking at the world. And they, by hook or crook, gain access to the regulatory organizations, the professional organizations, the political organizations, and convince those organizations to smack down everybody else. I mean, just look at the, it's, it's line and verse like the opioid crisis. It's the exact same phenomenon that happened there. You know, you had, you had like five so-called pain doctors who convinced the VA, the Joint Commission, local medical boards, and then it sort of took off from there. Pain is the fifth vital sign. Pain controls what the patient says it is. You know, it's just it's just on and on and on, and and all and all the other uh, sheep followed suit. Though, and I was complaining about it at the time like crazy, and was crushed by four or five different regulatory organizations for daring to speak up about this. That I was somebody, I was a cruel person who was interested in human suffering. That I wanted my patients to suffer. Uh, that's, and again, you talk about propaganda and twisting things, you know, there it was. And it just feels like the same thing again here, but on an international scale. What's your theory? What do you imagine happened? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt that there were those evangelists. I mean, some of these characters had been, there was this growing field in the lead up to 2020 of this field of pandemic planning. This idea that we had to be prepared for another pandemic um, like the one that supposedly happened in, you know, the Spanish flu in 1918 and some other historical damage like that. What I, the origins that, as I was saying with the origins of social distancing are shady. And you can find some bizarre influence of China there as well. The official story of how this all began doesn't really add up. But and in any event, uh, there was an entire field of pandemic planning, which, you know, a lot of big philanthropists like Bill Gates were heavily involved in. They would do these pandemic simulations every year about how they were so going to be so prepared for the next big pandemic. They're all excited about the next big pandemic. And, you know, the, the most um, notorious of these simulations was Event 201. It's a simulation of a coronavirus pandemic uh, that takes place just like it was, I think, two months before the uh, revelation of the actual coronavirus and the, you know, pandemic that led to that, that we experienced in 2020. And all these high level officials from all over the world, you had our highest um, intelligence official in the entire Western world, the director of national intelligence, sitting right next to China's CDC director. And this event 201, the simulation of a coronavirus pandemic that happened right before, you know, an actual, um, supposedly a pandemic of, of COVID and of a coronavirus in 2020. And yet we had no official explanation of any of this. Um, so yeah, there was a huge lead up of sort of, and, and there was all this evangelizing about the science of social distancing, this idea of pandemic preparedness. And they were just pushing all these ideas, which, uh, you know, obviously were going to do a lot of harm, this idea of lockdowns. And then once they saw the supposed success of the Chinese Communist Party's lockdown in Wuhan, of Xi Jinping's lockdown in Wuhan, you know, China tells them all, essentially tells them what they want to hear that this lockdown had succeeded in beating back this virus, that, you know, supposedly that it had reversed the curve. And through this one lockdown of Wuhan, it had just, uh, you know, eliminated the virus from all of China. And now the virus is receding from all of China. Um, and so the World Health Organization, which we know is, you know, in the pocket of the Chinese Communist Party, they come out at the end of February 2020 and tell the entire world very publicly, you know, what China has shown in the world is you have to do this. Um, you know, if you do it, you can... Uh, uh, you can stop the coronavirus, you know, copy China's response to COVID-19. They can tell this to every single, you know, country all over the world. Like, that becomes the official guidance, this policy of lockdown, which actually had no precedent prior to that. And so they're telling these evangelists, these pandemic planning evangelists, essentially what they want to hear. It's a pretext to put all these maniacal plans into action. Of course, they know that it's going to do a lot of harm, but it's this scorched earth thing that if we do this hard enough, like China did, you know, we're going to be able to eliminate this virus too. Uh, so the, the the propaganda campaign comes out of that, um, this terrorizing the entire public, uh, domestic use of propaganda, 
to get a buy-in for this totalitarian policy. And you look at the irony of this, that all these supposed hawks, these national security officials all over the world, this, uh, the entire response, the initial lockdowns especially, had a major national security element that I think a lot of people aren't really aware of. They think it's, you know, Fauci and the public health guys. And they played a very bad role as well. The CDC is very responsible for a lot of this. But the national security community played a major role in those initial lockdowns, especially, especially that initial propaganda campaign. And so you get the scorched earth um, event where, you know, they're implementing these policies that they know in advance. I mean, it's well documented. These policies are just going to destroy millions of lives. It's you know, really unpredictable mental health consequences, um, you know, obviously devastating for small business, economically just absolutely devastating, fastest economic crash, you know, since the Great Depression. But they did it all anyway because of that sort of evangelization that, you know, uh, yeah, we can put our pandemic plans, all our plans for how we're going to combat this big pandemic. And now it's here and we can do it. And Xi Jinping, you know, great guy, he showed us that we can, uh, you know, eliminate the virus. So, uh, they unleashed this propaganda campaign. And obviously, when you actually stop and think about this, you go back and think about this, it's absolute nonsense. The idea that the Chinese Communist Party was able to eliminate the virus from the entire country by shutting down one city for a couple of months, but apparently nowhere yeah. outside of China. I mean, apparently the virus just jumps out to the rest of the world. I mean, it's a very smart virus, apparently, that it, you know respects national borders very well. The you know, porous border of uh, over a billion people, but, you know, somehow it's not in China, but all the other countries around China are just maximus cases everywhere. Absolute nonsense. So the yeah. question here is why were so many high level officials? I mean, the closer you get to the highest level officials in response, charge of the response to COVID, um, the closer you get to that center of power, the more likely they are to treat that obviously forged data, which I have here as the cover of my book, the more likely they are, the higher up you get to treat sure. that ridiculous curve as being real. I mean, here it is, you know, you see the uh, uh, cases going up and up and up, and then she gives the order, and then suddenly they just flatline. This, uh, and that ridiculous forged data um, became the basis for the entire world's response. And beginning with those initial lockdowns, they knew they were going to destroy millions of lives, but it was a chance to put all their plans in action, so they did it anyway, and they got that scorched earth propaganda campaign, and it was completely ineffective. It failed obviously. Um, and, you know, cases just kept on coming. And so you, they're just flailing about, you know, with one policy after another, you know, next it's the arrows all over the ground and then they're closing this and that and plexiglass and you're stuffing kids in masks for years, just this, uh, you know, in the censorship campaign. It's just insanity. But, um, you know, it, it all just comes out of that initial decision. So I really just, you know, everything I'm doing is about getting more folks interested, raising awareness and, you know, how illiberal and bizarre that, was in, that initial decision-making was. And, you know, we need an official explanation for that. We need an official inquiry into how that official decision was made. Because to this day, we just have absolutely no idea, you know, where those orders came from. The military go along with this and, you know, um, you know, propagandize their own public domestically to go along with these hideously illiberal policies, which is always illiberal from the very beginning. I mean, there's a lot to answer here, but, you know, every single piece of it, when you look back, it's just absolutely damning about how this policy decision came about. Well, now, now you've, you've again put a little focus on it for me. So the kind of person that would go to that convention, that uh, event 201 planning, are already... Yep enthusiast evangelist it's like it's like having a right. religious organization get together and say it's time we we I must unleash our pro our thing on the world and and i'm wondering if in there is where the chinese had their way with a bunch of people and that's why they echoed so powerfully the chinese position because they were already disposed by some sort of persuasion that was going on at that event but that to me i mean there's got to be other world events that have been like this we have a bunch of people like-minded yes they're scientists but they are evangelists they train on this one thing the one thing magically happens two months later they can't help but pull the trigger and they and they do so with great enthusiasm to save the world which is why they go into these little you know it's always to save the world that's why they go into these little these evangel evangelical organizations like that and that's absolutely just right. beware no, that's, that's physicians 
beware physicians that want to save the world or you know they're just don't they're no that's not science that's not scientists you, you're just, everything is not about certainty it's it's and hubris it's about uh, humility and if you want to save the world that's not a humble thought and you may harm and these people did and i'm guessing that the chinese had influence there so things were already set up for the dominoes to fall it, it's rather extraordinary when you when you really tell the story i still don't get where the terror came yep. from did they talk about using terror at that meeting yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, that's one of the big mysteries, um, you know, that's absolutely true about pandemic planning. It's just a bizarre sort of pandemic planning industry that cropped up around the early 2000s. And from the very, you know, um, provenance of that, the very beginning of that, you know, you find this evidence of the influence of the Chinese Communist Party on the sort of pandemic planning industry from the very advent mm -hmm. of uh, the idea of social distancing to these, uh, you know, annual simulations they were having with event 201 you know like i said you have the director of national national intelligence sitting right next to china cdc director that all these sort of china friendly folks who are just sort of grooms to take groomed, this yeah, information from china yeah. and yeah yeah treat them as sort of yeah, a normal government a normal regime yeah. when you know at yeah. the same time we're getting a message that you know china is anything but and very accurately I mean, political conditions, you know, Xi Jinping was just elected unanimously 3,000 to zero okay. for a third term as a you know, president of China. It's uh, it's not a yeah, so regime. It's very totalitarian. 3,000 to zero. So, so Michael, let me, yeah. um, <laughs> it's just, it's comical. Uh, but yeah. let's, let's take a little break right here. And, and then I want to now launch into how different the regime is and how poorly we understand it. And, uh, and I'll start with sort of my sort of slow awakening to all this so you can put a finer point on it, okay? Right, absolutely. All right. I think you know how much Susan and I love our Genucel skincare and how easy it is to try our one-of-a-kind customer packages bundled with our favorite products. Susan realized the other day that one of our kids stole some of our deep correcting serum from our stash, if you will. We had no idea that the lactic and hyaluronic acid combo is so great for adult acne, dark marks, and scars so not only are susan and i hooked on these products but apparently somebody else in our family is too somebody's ripping it off i know i'm a snob about the products i use on my face everybody knows it every time i go to the dermatologist's office they're just rows and rows of different creams retinols vitamin c cream under eye cream night creams scrubs and then when i get to the counter they're overpriced all kinds of products that you can all find at genucel.com i've fallen in love with this product at a fraction of the price. I've been using Genucel for six months now, and I'm very impressed. Great skincare is important at any age, and we love how amazing the results are. Thank you to Genucel. Plus, now you can find your very own bundle based on your unique skincare needs. Using cutting-edge AI skincare technology, you can get a full skin analysis instantly and create a skincare regimen tailored towards your needs. Visit genucel.com slash Drew to check out our favorites and enter that promo code Drew, D-R-E-W, at checkout for added savings. All orders include free shipping and a free mineral mask. Order now. Go to genucel.com slash Drew. That is genucel, G-E-N-U-C-E-L, genucel.com slash Drew. Buy gold and get a free save to store it in. You heard right. On qualifying purchases from Birch Gold Group now through March 31st, they will ship you a free safe directly to your door. Here's the deal. Fed keeps raising rates because it is the only tool they have to keep inflation under control. But it isn't working. You can't spend your way out of inflation. And you've seen the impact on the stock market. You've seen the impact on your savings. Hedge inflation by owning gold. Whether physical gold and silver in your safe or through an IRA in precious metals where you can hold real gold and silver in tax-sheltered retirement accounts. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Visit birchgold.com drew for your free info kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free home safe by March 31st on qualifying purchases. Again, visit B-I-R-C-H gold, birchgold.com D-R-E-W. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7. 
a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. My microphone on, there we go. Uh, uh, of course, we're with Michael P. Singer here. Uh, the book is Snake Oil Science. And Michael, before I get into the, uh, the misconceptions about the CCP, the uh, Chinese hawks all around me are asking me, what about the 100,000 leaked emails? What about those leaked emails? Get that story. So let's get to that story, <laughs> lest I drift away from it. Tell us about that. Yeah, so recently, um, there was a journalist in the United Kingdom who is working with the former health secretary, who is really responsible for, um, you know, orchestrating all the lockdowns across the United Kingdom in 2020 and 21. His name's Matt Hancock. He's uh, quite a character. He's also caught breaking his own lockdown rules to cheat on his wife. He's a, you know, not, not really an A plus guy, but anyway, this, uh, this journalist, um, was helping him, you know, supposedly write his book. And so he started spilling the beans and, uh, you know, trusting her and, uh, gave her access to a hundred thousand, uh, text messages, uh, for the purpose of drafting the book. And then she leaked them to the telegraph. It's one of the biggest leaks of documents and, uh, the history of the United Kingdom. So it's a huge story. And it's really a look under the hood about how these decisions um, were being made during the lockdown in the United Kingdom. And it's really damning. Uh, you know, one of the worst is uh, this, uh, this text message comes out where Hancock is talking about when are we going to release the new variant? Uh, that he means for purposes of messaging with the United Kingdom, we're wondering to release the new variant to uh, get maximum fear out, scare the pants off the public and get them to comply with lockdowns. I mean, that's just absolutely, you think about the thinking behind that, uh, you know, completely illiberal. They already know about this variant and they're planning strategically for when to reveal that knowledge is if they own that knowledge, they're going to reveal it to the public in a way that maximizes fear to get compliance with these measures. I mean, you know, absolutely horrifying. Uh, in another instance, you had, um, you know, Boris Johnson, the prime minister of the United Kingdom, who was a little bit like Trump. You know, he wasn't really all into the lockdown thing. And, you know, unfortunately, he didn't trust his own instincts on that, uh, similar to, you know, how Trump was kind of railroaded into this stuff. And at one point, you know, he wants to lift some of the lockdown measures, but uh, he's informed that, you know, it's too out of sync with public opinion. You know, so based on the public opinion polls, he... Uh, reneges on his instincts and goes back on lifting those lockdowns. Um, you know, later he's informed that you know the United Kingdom may announce a second strict lockdown at the end of 2020. And later Boris Johnson is informed that the data they had made that decision on was completely wrong. So you know Johnson is again kind of chagrined by that. Um, in another instance, uh, you had the advisors to Boris Johnson. You know, the government of the United Kingdom is talking about you know whether to have masks in schools, have masks on little kids in the United Kingdom, which they did that there for a little while too. And they decide that it's not worth a fight with the um, first minister of Scotland, who was kind of a COVID nut herself, Nicola Sturgeon. She just recently announced her resignation, but they imposed masks. They forced all the kids in the schools in the United Kingdom to wear masks because they wanted to avoid a fight with Nicola Sturgeon. She was too strong-willed for them. I mean, these are the heads of the government of the United Kingdom. You know, it's just, oh, you read that, and it's just, oh, my gosh, it's mortifying just to read about those decisions. Um, so really, it's, I mean, it's absolutely horrifying to read this stuff. It's a massive story, both in the United Kingdom 
and abroad, you know, how these decisions were being made. And I think it's a good thing because it's, it's getting people's attention back on the main story here, which was those lockdowns, the mandates, you know, the masks, the vaccine passes, which were just so illiberal and the messaging, especially the domestic propaganda, the censorship that came along with it. There were just, you know, people became so they were only getting one side of the story and it terrified them. You know, a poll taken at one point, I think it was the end of 2020 or 2021, the average American believed this virus was 100 times deadlier than it actually was. You know, the actual fatality rate was um, overall about 0.2, much, much higher if you're older. If you're younger than uh, 60 or 70, I think it was never higher than, you know, point. But it is far, far lower than 0.1%, you know, really just not deadly at all. But, you know, most Americans, uh, according to the study, believe that, that, you know, if they caught COVID, you know, it would be like a temperature of times uh, deadlier than it actually was. I mean, they were just terrified. And it was all because of these decisions that their own governments were making. It was all propaganda. Are you going to write a, you know, a, another book? <laughs> is another book coming? I'd like to, but, you know, gotta you know, got to have the subject that compels me as much as... Uh, snake oil. I mean, what really just inspired me to write this book, I had never um, written one before this, was just my passion about the subject matter. That's what got me researching and reporting. Well, but there's there's the more to the story I mean, since you, it's like you need a snake oil too. You know, there's more to the story since then. There's a lot of stuff that's come out. I, yeah, absolutely. I made a lot of discoveries, discoveries since then, especially about, you know, some of the leading instigators of these policies, because that was kind of the question that, um, you know, where my book left off is, you know, what is the stories behind some of the lead instigators of these policies? And those are stories that have come out mm-hmm. in other books, often ones that are mainstream, like, you know, pro-lockdown, um, shedding light on some of the cast of characters here. You know, we talked about Deborah Burks and how she was orchestrating lockdowns across the United States. In Italy, the story is even stranger because, you know, Italy was the first country to go into lockdown. And it mm-hmm. all began in Lombardy, Italy. And that was actually in February 21st, 2020 is when Lombardy, Italy went into lockdown. That decision is utterly bizarre because prior to February 21st, 2020, there was nobody really in the world that you could count on you know, one hand um, the number of people who were talking about you know, the rest of the world actually adopting China's lockdown policy. That wasn't even considered a serious, you know, conversation topic. The idea that this policy that had absolutely was completely illiberal. Everybody knew it was totalitarian and barbaric. Uh, had no basis in the pandemic plans. It was not had no precedent in the modern Western world. Uh, everybody saw China was doing it, and there's, you know, that's so bizarre. You know, Xi Jinping being a dictator doing his thing. Nobody was talking about the rest of the world adopting that horrific policy from China, and then suddenly, just like that. On February 21st, 2020, Lombardy adopts this policy from China and goes into This is not only is not an pandemic plan, it has no precedent. This is before the World Health Organization had even announced their support for the policy. There's absolutely I, I think no I know what this was. I, I think I knew because no. I remember I was listening to communications from the Italian doctors uh, at the time. A, it was just a complete panicked response, complete. And and here's the, here are the elements that they. Ha- I remember thinking to myself, well, this is, doesn't apply to us. A, the hospital system was at least the ICU system was overwhelmed there. A, B, the doctors were grossly mismanaging the patients, and they were all dying. It was a mess. I could just tell they were there was there there was like one intensive care doctor for the entire region, and they didn't know what they were doing. It was a total mess, and. I remember thinking at the time, I don't know, I've not looked this data up, but at least the sense I got was it was killing a lot of older women. Mom in Italy is a big deal. And when the moms, the grandmas and the moms started dying, they freaked the hell out. And there was no one there to treat them. And the hospital system was overwhelmed. (gasps) Do something. Everybody stay home. And that's what it looked like to me at the time. I remember vividly assessing it and, and thinking, well, at least we're not going to do that. that this is not a, we'll, we'll take care of things. And there we went. Yeah. No, I mean, that's absolutely right. There was some of that panic. But if you look closer, because even that panic does not excuse, you know, this policy, adopting a policy from China, which has no yeah. precedent in the yeah. Western world. I mean, it, it, no basis in the pandemic plans. That is a bizarre step to make when nobody was even entertaining that idea. So you look closer, and yeah. it's actually one of my most popular articles, and getting that story out there might be 
instead of writing another book on its own. But you look at the communications from the health minister in Italy who made that decision to lock down Lombardy. He was well aware that he was copying a policy from China. He made that very clear. Mm. And he actually wrote a memoir about it, which was pulled from shelves. The book was considered so hideous that they simply pulled it off of shelves all across Italy. It was only mm. out for a few days. And uh, you can download it and read it now, And um, uh, which I did for my article. But the reason it was pulled from shelves, um, you know, they gave some pretextual reason. But the real reason, which everyone knows, is that he wasn't really taking it all seriously. He makes it abundantly clear throughout the entire book that he wanted to use the response to the COVID. What he's most excited about was using it to implement far left reforms across Italy. He was a member of uh, the Young Socialist Alliance in Europe. He was, uh, you know, very um, transparently, you know, avid about very far left policies. You know, he's very excited about China and the surreal Sinophile uh, throughout the book. And he just did not seem to care about COVID. He actually wrote this book in 2020, you know, COVID, uh, they were doing this whole um, insane response to COVID for year, many years after those books. Did, did, lockdown, did lockdowns really do nothing? I mean, they, they bought some time here and there, didn't they? Yeah, see, I disagree with that. I, I think they were absolutely horrible for health. You look at, so if this virus was spreading all over the world by fall, 20, you know, fall 2019, so it had the chance to spread everywhere, but it wasn't until places started lo- these lockdowns that you actually had these big sur- surges in deaths. Um, so really, it, yeah, I mean, we know it was spreading everywhere, but actually, you know, excess deaths until that point were actually quite normal. And everybody, you know, around February, uh, January, February in 2020 um, was just going about daily life as normal. It was really kind of the lockdowns themselves and the absolute terror and the stress that induced and the uh, you know adverse health outcomes of that. It's not until after those lockdowns go into effect that you have these horror stories about um, you know overflowing hospitals and messed up themselves. I, I, that's you know part of why this is going on so long, gotten so insane. Why people are you know so up in arms about this is that truth is so difficult to accept that this policy that their own government implemented that, you know, in many cases, in most cases, I'd say, you know, they, you know, supported it to some degree. It all seems so scary at the time was, you know, it was that big of a policy catastrophe. It did not stop the virus. It did not slow it down in any meaningful sense. I think a, uh, a study came out afterward that, um, the lockdown slowed the spread by, I think it was like 0.1%, some absolutely meaningless. Now, there's an absolute cut, a policy catastrophe. And these lockdowns basically had very little effect on the spread of the virus. Meanwhile, they had all these adverse health outcomes. And frankly, I mean, they destroyed a lot of lives and did an extraordinary amount of harm in a very short time. And the uh, you know reluctance of the public and leaders especially to accept that fact is what's gone on, what's you know responsible for so much of the insanity that we've seen in the last three years. And it's also why we have no real official explanation for why this has happened. We're getting it through more leaks. We still don't know how the decision was made to, you know, unleash that domestic propaganda on the public. I mean, think about that. You know, one way, whether you uh, still don't know what to think about lockdowns or you hate lockdowns or wh- whatever position you're on, this is a massive decision that affected you know, millions, you know, across the entire world, you know, billions of lives. It affected everyone in a massive way, just a huge intrusion on life in 2020 and 2021. If they were proud of the effects of that decision, if they thought it was smashing success, wouldn't they be happy to give us a full explanation? And, you know, this is the big decision we made. I mean, these people were confidently made decisions the that they knew the is out there were going to destroy millions of lives. Singing her own praises in her book, she thinks she's a hero. You know, she's <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one. It, she, <laughs> Look no further than there. Does, but, but yeah, we still she, have she no does. She does. Yeah. She does. Yeah. Uh, so I only have 15 minutes left with you. I want to tr- uh, go back to now what we get wrong about China and what's going on in the present moment. What, what, what did right. we get wrong about the Chinese Communist Party and the, and the culture there? I mean, you know, like you were saying earlier, um, you know, I was very naive about China as well. And I think we all were. And that was really very deliberate. Uh, you know, from when China reopened back in the 1970s, when Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger first reopened China, we did so on the idea of change through trade. 
China was, you know, one of the most totalitarian countries in the world. They had just, uh, you know, under Mao Zedong's regime, it was one of the most ruthless tyrants the entire 20th century. Um, really just tyrannical, long tyrannical rule. So we began engaging with China in part to get the, to form an alliance that would hasten the downfall of the Soviet Union, effective geopolitically. But at the time, we did so with both eyes open, the idea that, you know, this is still a very totalitarian country, engagement has to be limited, um, and we're doing so on the basis that, you know, as they advance economically through our relationship, through their relationship with us, they're going to become more like us. They're going to demand more human rights, become more liberal. So over time, um, you know, we sort of, the entire Western world sort of lets their guard down as they develop uh, relations with China and obviously more and more commerce, more and more industry, more and more everything starts being produced in China. These economic relations become much, much closer. And so over those decades, the story we're being told is that change through trade is a success. That, uh, you know, China was becoming more like us. You're getting all these, you know, you can, every business student goes and studies abroad in Shanghai and, you know, they, uh, it just looks like this great, huge success story. And it's just another part of the developed world now and everything's normal and you can do business there and have a lot of fun there. And just, uh, you know, China and uh, the United States were just like peas and carrots and it's just, they're just one of us now. Um, but what we didn't realize was that the wool was being thrown in front of our eyes. That over those decades, you know, totalitarianism was just doing what it's doing. The Chinese Communist Party was just doing what they've always done, which is co-opting uh, and, you know, whining and dining and getting the entire world to accept their totalitarian system and normalize that within the uh, entire global international community. Um, so that, you know, by the time you get to uh, when Xi Jinping comes around, you know, every single one of our institutions from think tanks, universities, uh, newspapers are all our major institutions who we rely on to tell us about the world, to paint our picture of reality, have all had these connections to the Chinese Communist Party or at the very least, their own financiers, the sort of billionaire class here in the United States, are so bought into China that they force you know, elites within these other institutions to speak about China as a normal global partner. And so then what happens around the 2010s is you start getting these horror stories about how, you know, suddenly start hearing about concentration camps. You're like, wait, what? They have this entire system of concentration camps. That's just, you know, bizarre. You think like, huh, that doesn't match with what I've told about change through trade. You start hearing about, you know, treaty violations in Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong is getting thrown, completely thrown under the bus. They were supposed to be guaranteed by treaty to maintain their democratic system, their system which ensures all their rights for 50 years. And Chinese Communist Party has, you know, flagrantly flouted that. And now Hong Kong is, you know, just like China. Um, and so you start hearing about that and, you know, that's bizarre. You know, what's going on here? The serious backslide. And of course, as we all know, Xi Jinping has uh, declared himself dictator for life now and just declared a third term, you know, by unanimous vote. So this is not at all the picture of this changing China that we've been told throughout all these years. And then most egregiously of all, of course, in 2020, you know, the entire world suddenly adopts Xi Jinping's lockdown policy, piggybacking on uh, this pandemic planning. But, you know, none of that was anything like this idea of, you know, forcing everybody to shut down their businesses and all these forced mandates that we suddenly got in the terror campaign in 2020. I mean, that was just, you know, unbelievable. And yet all these elite institutions, which have been so groomed throughout all these years to, uh, you know, normalize China, are treating this ridiculously forged data from the Chinese Communist Party and they're supposedly, you know, the people's super successful lockdown in Wuhan is real. So you can see how the groundwork for, the, uh, for that was laid over years and decades normalization process, which now that the political situation in China has deteriorated so rapidly under Xi Jinping and his dictatorship, that the implications of that influence, the stakes have grown much, much higher. Because before, 
you know, the influence is mostly about normalizing the China's totalitarian system for domestic purposes, or largely for human rights purposes. And, you know, they, they played the game with other things as well. There's monetary policy, you know, currency manipulation, um, you know, obviously uh, climate science is a big one where they're always, you know, claiming they're going to be carbon zero and everybody around the world seriously, but it's just all just a big lie. So they're, they're lying in all these fields. Mostly it's for domestic purposes that, uh, you know, their human rights abuses within China are the international community turns a blind eye to them and say, you know, China is changing. So you're free to do business there. You're free to, uh, you know, um, export all your industry, that has money in China. They're changing. So you can ignore all these human rights abuses. You know, the first off-ramp was really with Tiananmen Square in 1989. I mean, we were told that China was changing, but suddenly there's just this, you know, hideous massacre of thousands of their own people, uh, just these peaceful protesters, some of their best and brightest students. That was really when the world should have taken notice that this idea of change through trade was not working, that China was not becoming like us, because, because they're already so invested there, because they're already making so much money. Uh, suddenly it was just business as usual. And so the whole world just you know, goes back. And the bill for that really came due in 2020. That suddenly, you know, these institutions, latest institutions all over the world who had been so groomed to normalize China, uh, implement this hideously totalitarian policy. I mean, really the, just the most totalitarian policy has ever been implemented, especially in the United States and really um, much of modern, just it's, the modern developed world as well. Horrific. I mean, and and nobody is looking into China's influence on that. Why and where am are we I, going? You know, where, what's the next California? thing? Like, right. What is and the so, next, and what's so the next really, step? What, it begs the I question. Read his mind. Something this horrific, something this horrific, like adopting Xi Jinping's lockdown policy. And the obvious question that arises from that is what was the Chinese Communist Party's influence on the global adoption of Xi Jinping's policy that was so catastrophic? Mm -hmm. That seems to be the obvious question there. And yet none of our institutions seem to be taking that question seriously. So you look all over the major media outlets, that question is just non-existent. I've just been completely whitewashed. There's nobody looking into it. I mean, people hope that our intelligence agencies are, but you know, I look at, I follow the national security community. There's no uh, suggestion that they are as well. They have to get their orders from the executive, which is influenced by public opinion. If they have no incentive to do that, you know, they're not gonna look into it as well. Um, so this very obvious question, this mountain of evidence that the Chinese Communist Party did uh, very, um, you know, had a major influence on the global adoption of this lockdown policy has been, there's just this silence, this void around it. And the void around that extraordinarily important part of the story is what is largely what's responsible for the bizarre sort of surreality, this uh, false reality that we've been experiencing for the last three years, because they'll dance around it. You know, they have the New York Times, you know, publishing the well-written, um, you know, intellectual articles, but, you know, acting like China's response, their data is real, that, you know, this virus, mm. they did actually eliminate it within all of China by shutting down mm. this one city. This absolutely silly narrative and this otherwise, you know, intellectual sounding articles. Um, so maintaining that false reality because to please the Chinese Communist Party is responsible for so much of the insanity that we experienced right here at home uh, for the last three years. The economic relations that are being maintained by our billionaire class, you know, nearly all of them are bought into it. Uh, I think for normal people, it's like, okay, we understand that decoupling from China, we're going to take a hit in stock prices. But, you know, for a big political event like that, we understand that a uh, major country backslides into totalitarianism. That's what you have to do. For the billionaire class, it's much, much more than that. You know, in some cases, that's, you know, 80, 90% of the wealth. In some cases, you know, they could even face bankruptcy. They're very, very reluctant to do that. And so they kowtow to the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the things that they really care about, which is, you know, the response to COVID. And uh, that is completely kept out. It's, it's, they've created this taboo around what to me is one of the most important in the world today is how the Chinese Communist Party influenced that lockdown policy. That's simply a taboo. And they do have a red well, line. Well, I wonder, I, I, want, I wonder if also you, if you zero it in on who systematically crushed the lab leak hypothesis, who was being influenced to, to push that propaganda, whether that would be the same people 
that you're looking for that would help explain why the lockdown became pervasive. You understand what I'm saying? Right. There's some of that. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, there's absolutely been Chinese Communist Party influence on the lab leak theory. But in my experience, you know, the mainstream media is much more inclined to engage with that subject because there's less at stake there. Because a lab leak, you know, that's bad for China. It's bad for the handful of scientists who, you know, so much anger at those scientists for supposedly covering up this theory. But that's not going to endanger their um, financial connections with China where they're making all their money. There's a different degree. You know, you can still hear about that lab leak story in the mainstream media. There's been plenty of mainstream articles uh, written about it. You'll know about that. The bigger question to me and where the most damage was done was in importing these policies in response to the virus from the Chinese Communist Party, especially those initial lockdowns. But also, you know, you'll yeah. find influence on all the rest of the mandates as well. The testing, the ventilators, which killed so many people, especially in those initial days before a grassroots campaign, mm -hmm. put a stop to it. That's yep. simply considered a taboo because it's so awful for the Chinese Communist Party. And stop and think about that. If something is taboo just because it's bad for the Chinese Communist Party, then what does that mean about all this hawkishness of China? Do they even mean what they say? If they're not even going to look into the worst things that the Chinese Communist Party is doing in the world, then how can we take them seriously in all their hawkishness of China? This is very you know, difficult to wrap your mind around, but the people pretend to be so hawkish about China, you know, they're getting all these warnings, you know, there's the Chinese spy balloon, you know, there's all this theater about how, uh, you know, we're taking on the Chinese and uh, the Chinese play into it as well. You know, they issue these very public, you know, announcements of the lab leak theory and, oh, you know, we uh, are so upset about your lab leak. They say it in their own state media outlets every single day. But meanwhile, the real story here, the far more damaging one is simply a taboo. You simply won't hear about it in any major media outlet. I mean, um, and that's why my work has been so fruitful is because this entire storage is right there under the surface. You know, the fact that all these measures, the lockdowns, um, the testing, the, you know, mandates, the fact that you have China's paw prints on the origin of every single one of these policies is just right there under the surface, but it's simply not being reported because that's just so damaging to the Chinese Communist Party. And the financiers of our elite institutions stand so much to lose from that. So we're at this strange juncture now where, you know, everyone knows that the Chinese Communist Party is backsliding into totalitarianism. They don't even, you know, really try to hide it. Xi Jinping is, you know, the most hawkish, ruthless leader since Mao Zedong. Uh, he's just declared himself dictator for life. They have concentration camps. You know, he just very, makes it very clear that he doesn't think that capitalism and communism can coexist and he sees it as his duty to make sure that communism um you know engulfs the entire world these things are very transparent but you have our own elite saying no 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 you know that's yeah we're taking it seriously you know we're going to take it seriously we'll get they, through they that taiwan they have their, yeah but they make it sound like i wouldn't want to be japan or taiwan power. right they're doing everything in power to whitewash this story so that they're not forced to decouple from China and lose their investments there. And that's creating the and false is, reality um, that they're responsible for. That's right. Susan wants to know if we in the Ukraine war did nothing um, other than push Russia into the hands of China, the arms of China. It's certainly possible. And you see that, you know, clear as day, that game that they're playing there as well. You have all the think tanks and, you know, all the, you know, um, stooges of our own sort of billionaire class here, insisting that, no, no, China is our buddies. They got our back. They're not supporting Russia, you know. And meanwhile, you know, Xi Jinping, the Chinese Communist Party is in the exact opposite. Like, no, we support Russia. I mean, <laughs> they're sending them arms. It's, you know, clear as day. And so you see that game where it's our own elites, you know, um, for lack of a better word, lying to us about, you know, how wow. bad things have gotten in China, how much China has deteriorated. They're throwing the wool under their over our eyes because they're so afraid of looting their um, investments there. I may, I may, um, I may have to bring you back to get further down yeah, this rabbit you, hole. You got but, to the but, good stuff yeah. in the last minute. Well, Susan, I wonder before I wrap it up, is there anything you want to ask? I just, I feel like it's smoke and mirrors, you know, like we're, we're going around in circles over here about the lab leak still while he's off doing something else. It's even going to be more nefarious down the road. And I, you know, because, you know, yep. that I always feel like you should be looking to his next move. And 
it looks like to Absolutely. me that it's he's trying to get he, world domination and he's weakening America. He's done a good job. We're all yep. just kind of going, wow, what just happened? But it took us three years to figure it out. Meanwhile, who knows yeah, what the next thing is going to be? What happened with the response to COVID and those lockdowns really weakened America. I think even more so than that, the primary goal there was simply to seed, you know, a certain degree of totalitarianism in our everyday lives. You have people getting comfortable lying about something really, really big. The idea that there's a super virus and it justifies this definite state of emergency, all these illiberal policies. You know, that's Xi Jinping's vision is that people will embrace totalitarianism on their own that it won't need this entire world war, that China's influence will simply cause the world to embrace this totalitarian communist system. And so, you know, in the meantime, yeah, everything you're being told about China, these stories, this Chinese spy balloon, the, you know, the lab leak to some degree, a lot of it is just theater. It's what our elites are comfortable telling us is, you know, yeah, China is doing this stuff and uh, everybody, obviously they can't hide how much the situation in China is backsliding politically. Mm. But they're not telling us the worst thing that the Chinese Communist Party is doing. And that's absolutely terrifying because as we saw with lockdowns, I mean, it's a lot worse than people realize. If you want to hear more, it's Michael Sanger, S-E-N-G-E-R dot substack dot com and on Twitter at Michael P. Sanger, S-E-N-G-E-R. Michael, it's always um, fascinating slash hair raising to have a conversation with you. Uh, but you I'm, so much I'm so- but we're going to have you back as more comes up in the news and we need to like yes assure yes. me My that pleasure. the world's not coming to an end yeah susan needs to she will not sleep this <laughs> week this week she'll read she's been reading your book on and off like she rereads it and rereads it and goes back to it and it's been sitting <laughs> well, next to our it's good history it's been sitting next to our television since since you we last talked to you and that was what probably 14 months ago or something was it that long ago yeah and, oh i appreciate uh, that so much yeah so and we've been sort of filling in our own trying to understand what's been going on and uh slowly but surely i'm gaining a clearer and clearer we'll have you back just you know anytime you want to come on yeah anytime you have something to promote let us know we'll bring you back in uh but i gotta wrap it up today i appreciate you being here thank you very much michael sanger thank you thank you you both so much appreciate it and uh we're gonna get out of here quickly as well today tomorrow uh we have uh, Dr. Mackies, as, and uh, as we said, Gad Sad on the 21st, and Vicky Ma- Malley or Mail, I don't pronounce the name on Thursday. Mail. We'll, Mail. Okay, we'll see you then. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.